This is episode 18 of the Geek Therapy Podcast. I'm Josue Cardona. Today, I want to share with you a panel that we recently did at San Diego Comic-Con. Um, our panel was titled Geek Therapy, How Superheroes Empower All of Us. And I was joined by Patrick O'Connor and Frank Gaskell, who have been on the show before, and by newcomers Laura Vecchiola, Elizabeth Smith, and Dave Hagen. And to top it all off, we had Travis Langley as our moderator. It was a great experience, and you're going to be hearing a lot more from some of those people very, very soon. Um, one of the best parts of the whole experience was having people come up to us after the panel and talk to us about what we talked about and ideas they had. And I want to encourage all of you who are listening to please do the same. Um, contact us at geektherapy.com. Let us know um, if you have any ideas about shows that we should do, things that we should cover, people we should talk to. And maybe you're uh, someone who uses geek culture in, in really interesting ways and you'd like to share that with other people. We'd, we'd love to talk to you. The whole con experience was amazing and a lot of the experience surprised me. Um, the best part was really just taking in the culture and I, I enjoyed it way more than I expected. I was a little overwhelmed and I have a lot to say about that and I think in the future I'm going to bring one of our panelists on to kind of share some of the real con culture with, with you on the podcast. And not only that, um, pretty soon I should be talking to people who are either running or in charge of or, or just have ideas for completely different cons. And I think you'll, you'll find that really interesting. So um, I have the audio recording of the, of the panel, and I'm going to just put that at the end of this, um, and I'm just going to play it unedited. You'll see that uh, the well. You'll hear that the microphone is positioned right in front of Laura Vecchiola, so she's the person that you hear laughing pretty loud uh, throughout the whole thing. We have the microphone right in front of us, but I think it sounds pretty good. Uh, you can even hear the the questions from the audience if you listen really hard. And uh, it is an audio recording, but we had a very visual presentation, so we, I will be making a video of that. So if you're listening to the auto podcast, um, check out our YouTube channel and you'll see that we have, we'll have a video up with the, this audio um, on top of the, the actual presentation that we did. And if you're watching the video right now, then enjoy. And please give us feedback and um, everybody that's on the panel, you'll be able to find more information about them at geektherapy.com slash SDCC 2013. So that's geektherapy.com slash sdcc2013. And for more information on Geek Therapy, go to geektherapy.com, follow us on Twitter at Geek Therapy, and here's our panel. I, I will now turn this over to our Geek Therapy panelists. I'm a psychologist, but I'm a psychology professor. I'm not a therapist. And so I have a different perspective, but I did want to be, be here with them. And so some of these are individuals I've, I've known without meeting. You have many online friends like that. And mm -hmm. some of these are individuals like that for me. And I'll let them introduce themselves and, and, and handle it as they please. Sweet. Um, so uh, welcome again. I, I just want to say again how happy I am that, that all of you have uh, chosen to spend this time with us today. Hear about geek therapy, hear about superheroes, and uh, to share our experiences with uh, uh, with how we found superheroes to be so empowering of, of people around us. So I'm Dr. Patrick O'Connor. I've worked uh, to develop something called Comicspedia. And Comicspedia is a, an online database of uh, essentially superhero comic books 
It's, there, it's the, the summaries of these comic books. Currently, I have almost 300 of them summarized and tagged with different themes related to psychology, with the, the purpose being that I want to help therapists bring comic books into therapy. So if you have a client who maybe has some issues with uh, feeling kind of alone or uh, having some issues with like making difficult decisions, and they like X-Men, for example, you can click on difficult decisions and find X-Men books with short summaries tagged with these themes, and you can bring those into therapy to, uh, to work with your clients. So that's uh, one thing I've worked on. And another thing that's coming up this fall at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology is uh, geek culture and therapy. It's a course I'm developing to try to teach. Oh, oh. no. <coughs> it's so intimate now. Romantic. <laughs> I like that. Set um, the oh, mood. Which do you prefer? No, I, I like it lit. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so, geek culture and therapy starting this fall is going to be a course where we'll look at comic books, we'll look at superheroes. <laughs> oh my goodness! Somebody's leaning against the switch. Video games, Feel all that ass. stuff. Anything in geek culture, you think about it. I'm, I want to teach, and it's it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, so my name is Josue Cardona. I put the pronunciation there. I don't know if that's how pronunciation, phonetic stuff works, but that's kind of how I do it. <laughs> and um, this is just a picture of uh, all the stuff that 65% of who I am is probably, or what I like, <laughs> is on that page right there. That explains a lot. And um, I have a private practice. I'm a licensed psychotherapist in North Carolina. I see people in the Charlotte area, and I see people online also in anywhere in North Carolina. And yes, that's TARDIS blue on the logo. And then the other logo on the bottom is, uh, I actually have a degree in, in electronics. So I also consult, uh, do a tech consultation for other clinicians because we usually don't know much about technology. And then about two years ago, I created Geek Therapy. And last year we started doing the Geek Therapy podcast. And I just wanted to share that the Geeky Awards uh, declared our podcast the best comic book superhero podcast this year. And I'm very excited about that. So um, we kind of want to bring a little bit of that here for everybody. Hi, everyone. My name is Laura. Um, I'm a clinical doctoral student in psychology. um, And I'm training to be a psychologist and working on my dissertation currently. Um, Just to tell you a little bit of why I'm here and where it started, as a kid I was mildly obsessed with Greek and ancient Egyptian mythology. And I think uh, it was the hero story that like spoke out to me. Um, There's nothing better than like an epic story. And so then as an adolescent when I grew up I just kind of naturally, I don't know if you all could see that but that's Batman. Yeah, that's a good one too. If you can't see it, but um, I think superheroes were were a natural transition for me. Um, and I, th- I think the best part about a superhero to me is that it's it's real stories. Um, you know, they're not frou frou, happy fairy tale endings. They they talk about pain and trauma and and remind us of our humanity. So I'm very happy to be here and share that with y'all. So thank you. Hello, I am. (laughs) (laughs) This is Liz's obsession. (laughs) My English name is Elizabeth, and Elizabeth Smith, and my Korean name is Yi Pengshu. Yi being the last name, because in the Korean culture, you are identified first by your family before you are identified as an individual. 
And throughout my life, I... Oh, yes. Yes. There it is. Okay. There it is. Just lean there into it. it. <laughs> so, in the Korean culture, the last name is identified first as one is identified by their family before one is identified as an individual. And throughout my life, I feel that I have lived on the intersection of a lot of worlds. And I will talk about how comics have really had an influence with me and how much I really love the struggle with identity and how empowering it was for me to come into comics. And I'm... And you're a student. Oh, yes. <laughs> and I'm a student at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology with Laura what? and Dr. O'Connor. My name is Dave Verhagen. I'm a psychologist and an author, and I'm also the CEO of a uh, really innovative practice with about 32 therapists in Charlotte, North Carolina, called Southeast Psych, and we incorporate superhero and other pop culture themes into what we do. I uh, write a blog that's about popular culture called Shrink Blog. It's done pretty well, and uh, I work with this guy. <laughs> I'm Frank Astle, everybody calls me Dr. G. I work with this guy, and uh, I'm the author of Max Gamer, an Asperger's superhero, where I use um, Max Gamer to tell the story of Asperger's and how it's not a disorder, it's not a syndrome, and it's human evolved. So, so why did you pull this geek therapy pen together? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the uh, so the, uh, the whole idea behind bringing the, these panels together, again specifically these people, is that we've got uh, essentially three huge levels, of, like key levels of experience. We have uh, some people who've worked with uh, positive psychology um, and uh, and superhero themes, and, uh, and of course, you know, uh, Frank and Dave, I'm, I'm speaking of. Um, working with uh, uh, Southeast Psych and how much they put uh, psychology into the hands of people to enhance their lives. And it's just, the, the work that they do is, is incredible. Uh, they're, they're incredibly experienced, uh, just the, you know, the experts when it comes to helping people uh, overcome their, their struggles. Um, we have, of course, students then who are working on either dissertations or through clinical work or through just kind of personal experience who are finding kind of like the emerging stuff of how exciting it could be to discover superheroes and their powers of, of helping people heal. And then Josue and I kind of, uh, kind of the glue that brings it together, I think, between Comicspedia and, and um, uh, you know, bringing geek culture into the classroom and helping therapists learn how to use that to, to, uh, to help their clients. And, uh, and again, of course, the podcast, trying to get it out there so more and more people, more clinicians, more therapists, even educators, I mean, whatever your background is, if you're working to enhance somebody's life, that you can find something on the Geek Therapy podcast to uh, to learn about uh, in terms of you know cosplay and video games and comic books or, or whatever the case may be. Um, so we wanted to bring again a, a very kind of diverse panel up here so that uh, so you guys can have uh, some wonderful people to ask questions about and, and kind of learn from a little bit. And the title, How Superheroes Empower Us, you'll see that some of us are using it to empower our clients. Mm -hmm. Some of us have been empowered by superheroes, like probably most of the people here. You understand that concept, but we're applying it professionally. And even at the student level, they, their lives have been affected already, and they want to move that forward. So we just want to share how we do that, um, how other people are doing it too, which is something that I do on, on the podcast a lot. And we've given this presentation before in a very different format um, at, at a university, and we wanted to bring it here and kind of blow it up and include different perspectives. So we'll get right to that. Thank cool. you. Yeah. <laughs>
So I want to spend a little bit of time of how uh, superheroes, I, how I've seen that they've influenced uh, you know, people around me in my personal life as well as professional life. Uh, this is my son, Aiden. He's uh, four years old and freaking adorable, if I may say so. <laughs> and uh, and when, you, when you have a child um, and you see how much superheroes can, can influence their understanding of, of right from wrong, good and bad, uh, how do you handle a situation? Do you go in kind of guns blazing and, and fists up? Or do you act like the world's greatest detective and maybe gather clues and try to look for trends and try to pick apart things using your mind and, and trying to gather information about a problem before you actually go in and, and, and take action. Um, so again, just from a personal perspective, having a child has been incredible in terms of uh, you know kind of seeing how somebody gets to learn the world around about the world around them through superheroes and how fun that can make it. And uh, one story I want to share about a, a client I worked with. Um, he was uh, 17 years old and involved in, in gang activity. And uh, he was, was coming in because he had a history of drug use and, of course, the, the gang activity of violence and everything like that. And uh, he was known to be pretty resistant to therapy. I mean, after all, it's his, the, the communication, like what's been communicated to him is essentially that there's something wrong with you. Uh, you're the broken kid. You're the bad kid. All that stuff. This is what he's hearing on a regular basis from teachers, his parents, the police. Anybody who has a word to share with him essentially is going to tear him down. So here comes somebody like, oh, now you're supposed to help me. You're somebody else, another you know, person who's you know, well older than me, and you're, you're here to tell me about how I'm wrong and how you're going to fix me, right? So I bring in Irredeemable, a fantastic uh, comic book about a, a superhero, essentially who was the world's greatest superhero and turns into the world's worst supervillain. And how did that happen? Well, in this story, it was largely because he was kind of passed around from foster home to foster home and the parents were kind of resenting him for his powers and they were scared of him. They didn't know what to do when you have someone with a Superman-like set of powers who can throw somebody through a wall you know, in, in response to feeling threatened. And people started doubting him and saying, thinking like, are, are you really good all the way to the core? Are you really that, that you know, pure and, and you know, wonderful through and through? Or is there something else kind of going on? And that suspicion follows him throughout his life just as it did with this client. So I bring in Irredeemable and say, let's read through a few issues, and he's, and he's reading through it, and he's like, this is, this is awesome. This is good stuff, you know? Mark Wade, of course it is. And, uh, and so he's just loving it and, and right into it, and there's a moment in there where there's a, a panel where he just stops reading, and he's really like, it's clear, he's not, he's not going anywhere. And he's just focused on his panel, and he turns around and he, and he shows it to me, and he says, this is how I feel about the world. And it's a moment when Tony, the, the primary character, he says, uh, you know, let me tell you about the kind of world I live in. Um, essentially, that, that, that the world is unhappy with how fast you solve problems because you just can't solve them fast enough for them. The world expects you to be better than you can be, and there's nothing you can do to ever achieve the level of grandiosity that the world expects of you. And for this client, He's saying that I've got parents and teachers and all these people expecting me to be better than what I am right now. I don't, I don't know how to be anyone else than who I am. And this was a huge, huge moment for him to kind of realize that, that how, this, is, this is how I feel. Now I can communicate this and I have a way to show this to people and to show them that this is what's going on. So it was, uh, again, a, a huge moment for this client and he loved it. He wanted to keep reading comics, keep wanting to open up. Big turning point because that's all he wanted to do now was just talk about 
what brought him in, what, what you know, was kind of underlying his issues and what he could do to turn him around. He could actually start to see how it was affecting Tony and how he wanted to improve upon that himself. So I want to talk about um, a story that appeared on my podcast. <clears throat> this guy, uh, Richard, his story is really, really, really great. Um, as a kid, it starts out very sad. He was um, suicidal. He was in a really bad place. And he started seeing a psychologist, and the psychologist introduced, um, recognized that he liked comics. So he kind of embraced that in him. Um, and that led to lots of conversations and him getting a lot better. And the best part is, um, if you listen to that episode, Richard starts talking about how through comic books and through these superheroes, he starts creating this new relationship with his parents and this really great relationship with his father and how even later on throughout his life, because this was embraced, because this was encouraged, he was able to see other characters that really, really resonated with him. He talks about what Robin meant to him. He talks about later on in life what um, the character of Daredevil went. And he was able to see himself um, in, in, in the struggles that they were going through, and he was able to get inspired by that. So if you ever get a chance to, to hear his story, because he tells it himself, it's a, it's a really great story. It's just a great example from a client's perspective. Um, kind of like it would be great to get like in 20 years, you know, the, the perspective of the client that Dr. O'Connor talked about, and it's just and it's a, and it's a true story, and it's something that started when he was little, and today he still, you know, is able to benefit from that. And I want to talk about my friend uh, Robin Rosenberger. She started doing this thing where she started making capes for little kids, and. Um, she started this thing called Tiny Superheroes. And the way that started was she, she found this little girl online. She was following her blog. Like Her parents uh, started a blog because the girl was very sick. And she said, you know what? Like, I'm making these capes for my family and friends. I'm going to send them a cape because that just, that just it means something, right? It's, like, it's even hard to explain, but I think everybody here can understand. Like, you see a little kid with a cape on, and it just does something to you, right? So all of these kids are... are have some sort of illness or some sort of disease and today she's almost at a thousand families who have requested capes for their kids and these these children are very small but you can see they're all going through these things and they wear their capes to go to the doctor and at the hospital and it just really it helps everybody kind of like the doctors get involved and the, everybody just gets so excited and you see sometimes the siblings get involved and they want to join the team and Robin started this thing called the superhero squad and she tries to make sure that everybody's like this big team and sometimes you know even the whole family gets involved and just you know rallying behind that kid hoping that they get better and it's something so simple as just making a cape for a kid and like, I'm not even going to explain why that works, right? It's like, it just does. You, even the capes we got now with our bags when we came here, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was so cool. I'm going to be more so excited cool. to be like, I got a cape on this thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, it's so cool. And yeah, so you didn't notice, it's like in those bags, they've got mm-hmm. things, there's this little thing yeah. that can pull it out. Feels yeah, great. Yeah, okay. on your bag. Mm-hmm. Feels right. <laughs> so that's another example of um, uh, a way that we can empower um, people, whole families, even little kids. Robin told me this story that the kids, a lot of these kids are toddlers and they haven't really seen a movie or read a, a comic book, obviously. And when you put that on, they kind of like, they start posing and they start like, acting like they can fly and the parents are like, I don't know what, what happened. Now, how do they know how to do that? <laughs> um, and then this other one, the, the picture is great, so I have to tell the story. Uh, 
there was a study in Cornell, really, really simple. They asked kids um, what they wanted to eat, french fries or apples, and most of the kids said french fries. And then they said, well, what do you think your favorite superhero would eat? And what would you think Batman would eat? Oh, he'd eat apples. So then like, this kid, like, he knows. Yeah. Right? So there you go. If you have kids, there's a trick to get your kids to eat. Um, and then just in that uh, frame of Batman, uh, this is just a shout out to a great project from uh, Brett Culp. I don't know if he's here, but uh, he's doing this documentary that's all about how the character of Batman has empowered people. And he's got hundreds of hours of footage, and he has a panel tomorrow right in this room, I think. Yep. Yeah, so check it out if you're interested in learning more about that. Um, so I'd like to share a story of um, a little dude that I had the privilege to meet and work with. Uh, for my first year of clinical training, I worked at a school, and um, I was assigned to work with a 12-year-old um, pre-adolescent boy who was just like infinitely cooler than I will ever be and he knew that um, so the better part of we, we'd have breakfast every morning and the better part of our breakfast was like me trying to engage like what do you want to talk about uh, anything and this was him like, <laughs> like, too cool to answer I got like a lot of shrugs like yeah I guess um, and we, we struggled for a couple weeks to, to figure out what what to talk about um, and we did talk about movies. We, we could talk about movies. I think he felt um, safe talking about movies. That wasn't too, too intrusive, I think, on his private life. He had a really, a really tough upbringing. Um, he actually came from a family um, with both physical and sexual abuse, and then he lost his mother really young. He was closed off to the world because um, that was safe. You know, He'd been hurt enough already in his 12 years. Um, so once I figured out we could talk about movies, I ran with it. And one movie that um, he was really surprised that I knew about was Wolverine. Um, and I knew who Wolverine was, and I could spout off some random Wolverine facts. And like, I think I like went up in his cool points. Um, and he was like, "All right, maybe I can talk to this lady." Uh, so then, one thing that I wanted to do um, in the the therapy room, it was a lot more casual, but really we were doing therapy, um, was talk about where Wolverine came from. And I don't think he had ever really given that much thought. Uh, so I brought this great um, graphic novel in for him to look at. We didn't have the time to, to go through it, but as we looked at different panels and um, he kind of got the gist of like, maybe Wolverine didn't grow up as powerful as, as he is now. Um, he really started to resonate with some of the weaknesses that superheroes eventually overcome, although I think they always carry that um, flaw with them, which I think is why they're so relatable. Um, we talked about, you know, what do you think Wolverine was like when he was your age? What do you think he liked to do? Um, one thing that, in, in this story, and both um, something that he could relate to in his own life, was the idea of just feeling really alone, um, really isolated and not being able to relate to people um, almost out of a place of like being afraid of yourself. I think he was, he had a lot of anger and that was scary for him. Um, at times he was like a bit of a bully at school. So learning that um, you don't always have to be afraid of yourself and that eventually you can find someone to relate to even if they're within the pages of a book. Um, so as we read this story, some cool things started to happen. Um, but I think in this field you, 
you really start to count like little successes as much as you can. And one that I can remember vividly was um, in the hallway. I don't think he knew that I was there, but another student dropped their notebook and he picked it up and gave it to them. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that's why I do this. <laughs> um, and that, that spoke volumes to me because I think that was his way of connecting. So then the last bit that I, I wanted to briefly talk about was where I'm going in the field and his story and a lot of what um, I want to do in the future is working with children um, and then working preferably with superheroes and children. Um, this is from the I Kill Giants, which I don't want to talk too much about, but you should definitely read it if you haven't. But to me, it's just I find children to be inspiring and uh, really resilient and superheroes in and of themselves. So. So a lot of what I'm going to talk about today is how I personally relate to comics and to gaming and sci-fi and all things fantasy and geek nerd related. A lot of it has to do with my family. And my father was a huge um, sci-fi Trekkie fan and he instilled that for my brother and me. Um, and one of the things that I, when I look back on it, I remember that my father's military career put him overseas a lot. And trying to explain that and come up with ways to give him safety, I would imagine him being a superhero. He's going around the world and he's saving people and he's going to come home and he's going to be safe because he has these powers. And I think that that was a narrative that my brother and I often had together. And <laughs> he doesn't know this, but <laughs> I'm totally throwing my brother's pictures in here. <laughs> so there's a younger photo of him receiving a Transformers action figure and for him as not too long ago actually me giving him a, a shirt um, it's a Captain Planet shirt if you can see it but <laughs> just kind of that was something that we really held on to throughout our lives throughout our struggles throughout our parents divorce and sticking together and that was something that was really empowering. To include some more information, my family had a lot of gender rules. And if you see on the top right, that's a picture of our birthday cakes. My brother and I, our birthdays are actually four days apart. So a lot of times we would celebrate our birthdays together. However, I always had the pink cake and the pink flowers and the pink frill and the dresses. And comic books, gaming, things like that, those weren't girl things. So those weren't things that my mom and her side of the family wanted me to take as a hobby or take interest in. So naturally, <laughs> they became more interesting to me. Uh, and on the top left, it's a photo of my brother and I. We're sitting on a couch, and I am holding a Popple doll. And if 
You guys remember the old 80s and 90s uh, comics. In the back, there's this advertisement for the Popple dolls. Well, my brother got the comics, and I got a doll. And that was okay, but not. <laughs> and then on the bottom, I actually found these photos. It kind of looks like I'm sitting on a rug, but it's the angle. That's actually my bed when I was younger, before when our parents were still together. And that was my brother's bed. And if you can see it, he has Ninja Turtle bed sheets, and he has a slew of action figures. And I kind of have the boring room. <laughs> and that just kind of, I think, really holding those two pictures together really shows the segregation there. And up top is a photo of my brother feeding me a lollipop. And <laughs> down below is kind of, it's two photos of us throughout our lives together. And my brother always shared his interests with me. And that really continued throughout my life and made an impact for me. And even after he left for college and moved out and things like that, we are able to still be connected. And I think that's really pushed my interest and set that off in a lot of ways. So that's a more recent photo of us and also the support that my family has given me um, to go off to grad school, to work with other people and to help empower them throughout their lives and all the struggles that they have as well. And um, my now doing a dissertation working with trauma and post-traumatic growth and how difficult situations and lots of ambiguity can actually encourage a lot of positive attributes to emerge. Well, this represents the realization of a lifelong dream of mine, which is to do a presentation to a guy in a cow suit. <laughs> <laughs> Frank and I are with Southeast Psych, and uh, we are going to talk a little bit about how we've used superheroes in clinical practice, but I want to back up just a step and say how this came to be. Really what we're talking about is a movement that's nested in, in um, something that is called positive psychology. Positive psychology was formally introduced to psychology in 1998 by Martin Seligman, who was the president of the APA at the time, the American Psychological Association. And his movement that year, under his, uh, his year of being the president, was to introduce this idea of positive psychology. Positive psychology is really focused on what's right with people more than what's wrong with people. Clinical psychology by nature and historically is really focused on pathology, diagnoses, disease, things that are wrong. Positive psychology is taking a look at what's right. How do people become resilient? How are people resilient? Where are people strong and how can we build on their strengths? So the themes that you see in positive psychology are resiliency, strength, courage, and really pursuit of happiness as well. So you know how things go that an idea is introduced into a field and it takes a good 12 to 15 years before it really trickles down into actual practice. So our practice really represents that, and it's taken a while because it was introduced 15 years ago. And really for the past, I would say, 12 years or so, we've incorporated this idea into uh, clinical practice. 
a little hard to see, but down the hallways you can see uh, covers of comic books. We have movie posters down the hallways. We have a video production studio, uh, and we shoot short videos. I'll show you a little clip of uh, 30 seconds of one. Uh, we have superhero themes and posters. We have life-size superheroes, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, all through there. Yeah. <laughs> and Darth Vader. Uh, so that's what our, our practice looks like. We, uh, we have a whole video production studio with a full-time director and uh, some people that come in and do editing. And uh, in front of all of our doors, beside our doors, each of us has a caricature of us as a superhero. So I'm Superman, Frank's Batman. We go all the way down the hall, everybody. We've got about 30, 32 therapists. They all have their own superhero caricature. Um, if this will run, let me see. Um, go back. Do you want to turn the light down for this part? Yeah, let's yeah, just, this is just a very brief yeah, thing. If you want to get the light just Wait, for one second. No, no, it doesn't work. <laughs> And this is a, a, a look at, at kind of the look and feel of what we do. <laughs> That informs really the whole tone of our place, the look and feel of the place. And I'll tell you a real quick story. Uh, we, we are in clinical practice, so we see people all day long who come in as clients. And we don't necessarily see people who are just uh, geeks, just people who want to come in for superhero themes. It really, our tagline is psychology for all. That's kind of the theme of our place, is that we want to make psychology fun, we want to make it accessible. We want to make it something that people can easily get their heads around and get to and have information that can improve their lives. One of my clients came in fairly recently. He, he gave me permission to tell you this story without his name. But he was pulling out of his uh, neighborhood, and a car came around the corner about 45, 50 miles an hour, hit him, T-boned the car, and put him in a coma for 67 days. And he missed his senior year, uh, the end of it, and he also um, missed his freshman year of college. He was already accepted to college, and he, um, he was in this coma for two and a half months. And then he was coming to see me because after he had gotten out of the coma, he was rebuilding. And he was, uh, still had problems with memory, still had problems with processing speed, some of the emotional stuff that goes with uh, having a traumatic brain injury. And he's walking down the hall with me, maybe the first or second time that he's there. And he says, why do you guys have all these superhero posters and caricatures down the hall? And I said, you know, because superheroes are cool and they're fun, but they're also strong and they're resilient and they're courageous. And he said, oh, that's really cool. And the next time that I saw him, he came in wearing a Superman shirt. Long story short, he's going to college in uh, two weeks and uh, he'll be a freshman in college. He's really rebuilt himself around that theme. Um, one of the other ways that we have incorporated this is to, um, is to use the superhero theme for very specific populations or very specific uh, folks that have unique characteristics and that's where Frank comes in. So I'm Dr. G and uh, I think Asperger's is awesome. I'll probably hear me say that a hundred times, but uh, this is what Asperger's is, in case there's any misunderstanding. It can be overly focused on one subject, 
and have trouble reading or understanding visual social cues. Usually clumsy, uncoordinated, but not always. And they often, they want a friend. They, it's not that they don't want a friend, they do want a friend. They just don't know exactly how to do it. They feel like they're alone and they've been dropped off by the mothership on Earth. We would be lost without Asperger's. If you've seen the handout, I'm going through that. Asperger's is awesome. Thomas Jefferson, Dr. Temple Grandin, she's a friend of mine. Also, Clay Marzo, top, one of the top surfers in the world. He's Asperger's. So is Heather from America's Next Top Model. I picked her from the first episode, won a case of Red Bull on that one. If you pick the Asperger girl, she will win every time. And we also have Einstein, and we have Charles Darwin, Beethoven, Mozart, Dan Aykroyd of Ghostbusters. He wrote Ghostbusters, he's obsessed with ghosts. He won't leave his home without a police badge in his pocket. He's obsessed with the police. Last time I saw him, he asked me to report all ghosts and that ectoplasm levels were on the rise. Not a joke. <laughs> and so, because of my passion for Asperger's and my passion for these kids and families that feel alone and don't have a lot of hope, I created a comic book. And it's a graphic novel, it's called Max Gamer. I'm a superhero. Dr. Temple Grandin saw it, and she sent me this quote. This comic would have helped me when I was a teenager who was being teased, which is pretty powerful coming from her. Mm -hmm. I'll give you a quick walkthrough to get an understanding. It's written for parents, but it's specifically written for kids so they don't feel alone, they feel understood. Max fixes the computers, knows the History Channel, and hates the tags in his shirt. Which is pretty often, that's a sensory issue. Teacher to ask him the names of dinosaurs because he knows more than anybody else. Stegosaurus. <laughs> Max does not get invited to parties. He feels alone. Kids in school bully him. They pick on him because of his special interests and because they'll only talk about Star Wars or Pokemon. He doesn't have playdates and he feels alone. And when I've read this to kids and they've read it by themselves, they looked at me and said, Dr. G, do you follow me around? And some, some kids cry when they read it, that I feel understood. Max Gamer brings hope and self-understanding and identity. Self-acceptance, self-awareness is the key for these kids and adults. They feel understood. And in this book, Max journeys into a gaming world. His sister hates him. She steals the gaming device, goes into the world, and with his ASCII special abilities, processing speed and problem solving, He's able to save her and bring her out. And in the process of going through this gaming world, he wins the love of his sister. He feels accepted by her within the family as well as his friends. Max believes that he's a superhero. My mission, mission of Max Gamer, of Southeast Psych at large, is to play on people's strengths. As I said earlier, Asperger's is awesome. It is human 2.0. Deal with it. You buy your stuff from them every day. <laughs> so you've created environments where you can celebrate nerdy interests, use comics, uh, in the therapeutic setting, mm -hmm. was it difficult getting to the point where you could do that? Because I know individuals, I know psychologists 
who are wary of talking about the nerdy interest in the environment. I, I know one individual, uh, I, I think the world of her, for a long time, she did not show her real face online. She didn't want the people where she worked to know she was also this cosplayer. Uh, and then when she started letting it be found, somewhere it's like, you're different. <laughs> For me, I know that even as an intern, I, I knew what I liked and I knew what I loved to do and, and my, what my interests were. And I was working with children and we shared the same interests. So I once tried to use a, a Wii, like this program already had a Wii there and I tried to use it. And my supervisor said, no, 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 you can't use video games with kids. Like that just, just leads to all these issues and problems. And uh, that's when I started Geek Therapy, and I said, uh, no, I don't think so. There's a research that supports it, and um, a lot of people are doing this, and I think that we need to get a message out there to help people understand that there's power in using geek culture in, in therapy. The, the short answer for us is no, because we decided early on that we were going to do things differently and we were going to be okay with upsetting people. Mm -hmm. And in psychology, people are very, you know, very rigid boundaries and so on. I wonder <laughs> Yes. And, and that's kind of the, the expectation and that's sort of the, the culture. And what we did is step back from that and say, what about this has to be true? And what of this can we uh, overhaul or flip upside down? And so from the beginning, we embedded the idea of fun and innovation and new ways of thinking into our mission and into our values. And so in that sense, it wasn't hard to do. In, in another sense, growing up in these traditional programs, we both went to UNC Chapel Hill and you know, many of us have gone to um, very traditional programs that are good, but they, they kind of produce people that think a similar way. For us, when we decided we're gonna look at this differently, we're gonna tap into some really fun, cool stuff, then it really just flowed from there. It's a lot like positive psychology. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's flipping it upside down and looking at what's right rather than what's wrong. Mm -hmm. All right, we have <coughs> 10 minutes-ish, uh, nine, some questions. Uh, I saw that in first. I'm also a psychologist, and I love using metaphors and symbols with children, but I haven't used this before with adults, so I'm wondering what your experience is and how you introduce it. Right. Well, I'll, I'll start and say I work with young adults almost exclusively, so most of my guys that I see are early 20s or so. And it's like any good therapy. You sync up with someone, you find out what they like, how they think, what they're interested in, and if this fits, you go for it. And so that would be true if someone was 14 or they were 34. How there's two different cultures, you know, when you're multicultural. Do you ever try to bridge those two and, and sort of or do you just recognize that they're different and they don't really relate and you're just one person here and one person there? Because uh, I have sort of the same sort of thing, you know, I grew up in Korea but then I'm here now, so it's trying to be American and Korean. Do you ever try to bridge the gap or I do both. <laughs> it, it honestly depends on the situation, and I think that's also one of the really big things for me. And um, being a professional psychologist, um, training, 
um, and in everyday my personal life as well. And one of the reasons why I really resonate with characters, um, superheroes that have more than one identity and how they try to balance that and those internal struggles as well. And I have to say that I am so happy that I don't have to worry about someone seeing me on a professional level and me fearing like, oh gosh, I'm wearing this cosplay and <laughs> they're going to see me because I can let that come out freely. And I'm really happy for that. And I thank everyone here yeah. for allowing that to happen. That's yeah. awesome. Right behind the one. Yes, yeah. Well, uh, question I have with a lot of the gold and silver age characters being white beings, how can you bridge that gap with uh, people who aren't white? Um, how does this uh, culture help? And how do, you, how, do you, how do you solve that problem in your practice? Um, I, can, I can say that uh, I like all sorts of characters, and I find that most of my clients, like you watch a movie and you really like it, and maybe maybe it's just geek culture in general, but if it's awesome, then maybe that, like we can see past the, the, the race and the ethnicity, and then we get to the experience. And I think it, like, just it, it's a simple, it's that simple. Some people, mm -hmm. you either like it or you don't. Like if race and ethnicity is an issue, then you're just not gonna resonate with that character at the beginning. And it's really client-led always. Like I wouldn't impose like, you're just like Robin in issues like this. No, no, I ask you first, what do you like? And then we go from there. This talk of skin color, I have to let the green skin attendee ask this question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, this Yeah, and if, if you walked in the front door, you would think it was very Star Wars-centric. <laughs> Vader, TK-421, Stormtrooper, R2-D2, Legos, then into Super... I mean, it's everything you can think of. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Love your accent. Nope, nobody in the back raised their hand past it. Green Lantern. <laughs> um, I was going to go for Patrick. You talked about Tony finding that paneling irredeemable, relatable. I'm sorry, I missed it. You talked about Tony Um, I think I, I think part of what came up in that moment was um, it, you, you may call it projection. I think it was more or less seeing himself in through the eyes of Tony. That he was that he as as Josue had just mentioned that it's it it's all about the experience that you're sharing and not necessarily um, the demographics of the character or anything like that. And with in that moment the client had seen himself and saw this and, and saw that wow here's somebody who had the exact same experience or the same kind of attitude about the world as I have and this was in issue three so we'd already gotten a little bit of information about his background and everything and and uh, and some some difficulties kind of from from uh, from the earlier days and it was starting to kind of roll of this is yeah that that Tony and I I mean he's he's a superhero or super villain I mean he's, he's got a whole life and world that's completely different from anything of me but man that one that we share 
-hmm. That is huge. Mm -hmm. That is he he understands me, and we're that's exactly how I feel. Um, it was it, again. It was just about the experience that, that he was sharing with this fictional character, and uh, and um, uh, yeah, and that's that's how, what I found to be particularly therapeutic for him. Like what 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 resonated with him. Last audience question. Yeah. So uh, I work at a domestic violence center working primarily with kids, and I've had a lot of success incorporating everything from Harry Potter to Spider-Man. Nice. My question kind of comes up. There's a fairly common concern or issue, and they kind of say, "Well, they had a happy ending. Where's mine?" Especially at a domestic violence center where there's a lot of recurring violence, conflict parents, mm -hmm. things like that. I'm curious if you guys would face that obstacle and how you overcame it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, I think it's important to focus on, well, at least I, I shouldn't say it's important to focus. The way that I work with comic books and with characters in general um, is the struggle. So we kind of live in, like, the middle of a story. Because um, it's really hard to, I can't tell them how their story is going to end. That's not fair. Um, and they don't know how their story is going to end. So working in that middle is building the resilience to make it to whatever end it may be. Um, so I, I, I would struggle saying like, yeah, well, you'll probably be fine. Like, give your powers and we'll figure it out. Um, that's just that's not fair. And and I think there are a few characters out there that don't have happy endings or have a happy ending for that day, and then it all starts again tomorrow. There's more crimes to fight tomorrow. There's more supervillains that are coming at you tomorrow. Um, so, in a way, it is a constant struggle. And the, and the idea of a happy ending is, is, that's like a goal. It can work as a goal. And my practice is very goal-focused. And if you can see, or you can even imagine what it is that you want, what, what you want to change or where you want to be, that's something that we can work towards. And then as clinicians, you know, we try to keep it realistic and, we, and, and healthy. Where can people find each of you online? Website, your Twitter, <laughs> not Twitter. Yeah. Uh, Twitter. <laughs> Laura, just, Laura just got her first Twitter account, Today. and it is it is uh, Laura don't Today. tweet. Laura, I don't uh, tweet. <laughs> I don't understand it. Uh, <laughs> we made it for her. Again, again, my project is Comicspedia. You can Google it. That's my Twitter handle. If you Google Comicspedia, that is everything about me. Yeah, um, geektherapy.com. I gave out these little cards. If you didn't get one, you can uh, come up here, and I can give you one. F Facebook <laughs> <laughs> and Twitter, but I probably won't read it. She don't tweet. <laughs> I am on Twitter. It's L I Z Z Y, and as in Nancy, as is in Sam, Lizzie N S. It's a lot of names. The practice is, is uh, southeastsite.com. The blog is shrinkblog.blogspot.com, and I'm at shrinkblog on Twitter. And I'm at D-R-F Gaskill. And you can also go to southeastsightstudios.com and watch the Dr. G. Ashby Show. Thank you. And I am Dr. Travis Langley, super neurologist on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm there way too much. Uh, and thank you all.